Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Tim. I was just up there on the acoustic guitar, but I was wearing my disguise of my huge headphones. So uh, it's kind of like a Clark Kent, kind of like put the glasses off. Oh, it's Tim. It's the same guy. Um, I'm an associate pastor here, which is awesome. It's a great privilege. Uh, first of all, before starting today, I, kinda, I feel like I need to apologize to um, the Shaw Vineyard community because um, I've, I've been running a competition with Vic. Vic has no part of it. It's just my own personal challenge where every week on Thursday, we send out the weekly email. And on MailChimp, you can see what percentage of people open it and engage with it. And so, so I think we hover usually around 46 to 49%, which is pretty good for like a, a spammy email. Um, but, but this, like, I've been trying to up my numbers so I can just finally beat Vic in terms of like who, who, who is writing it gets more clicks and more opens. So this week, I, I did a bit of a clickbait title and it misled some people. Um, if you did get the email, it said, this Sunday, wine and tacos. And I thought, like, yeah, yeah. So it was like really, it was really like I was trying to get people involved. And but then we started getting emails. There are literal tacos at the evening service, right? So there's that. But then we started getting emails back, like, will there be vegan wine? Will there be like all this kind of? Stuff? And I was like, oh no, like this is terrible. Like it's it, it's metaphorical wine based on the sermon, but it is very literal tacos. So like for those for the, are those on a free food. But I feel like I misled people. I led people to stumble, and Paul says not to do that, right? Like. So I apologize, but if you see some like if you see some huge title coming through an email like Sure Vineyard to close down, that's gonna be from me. And then it'll be like for this week, because we're on the <laughs> that will be me. So that's a click clickback title. I haven't seen yet. I, I I I'm guessing I'll hover around fifty three percent, but I'll I'll be sure to update everyone. Um it's good to be sharing today. Um, we're, we're not in our, we're in a kind of like a weird space in terms of the, the church calendar because we haven't quite started the next series, which is On the Road. But this sermon, uh, it's kind of out of me thinking of the theme of On the Road, and hopefully it makes a little bit of sense as we go about it. But um, it's called The Wine Runs Out. But I was thinking this week that first impressions are important, right? First impressions set the scene for who someone is. It's really hard to undo a bad first impression. Like the first time we... Um, meet someone, it, it shapes our experience of that person, and then like, it, it changes how we engage with them later on. And it's, whenever we do something for the first time, it's quite, like a, it's quite draining, right? When you, do, when you do a normal job, a new job, it's quite tiring, because you've got so much to learn, you've got your brain switched on the whole time, right? And the, the economist Daniel Kahneman, he talks about this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, where our brain has two ways of functioning. And the, the first way of functioning is just by our automatic brain processes where we, we, we receive so much stimulus in our life, like so much noise, so many like signals when we're driving, there's so much stuff coming that our brain forms these patterns, uh, they're called heuristics, by which we interpret the world. Like, so this is the base of where things like stereotypes come from or cliches or all this kind of stuff. When we, when we live in our lives, when we engage in with, with this world, there's so much going on that we need them, some automatic processes going on. What happens, though, is when you encounter a novel situation, like something brand new, your brain switches from the system one automatic processing, autopilot, to actually system two, which is like, 
I have to really pay attention. I have to really like think. And that's really tiring, right? The brain's 4% of the body's mass, but around 20 to 25% of the body's energy goes towards it, right? So our brain's pretty smart at, um, at utilizing its energy well. So we form these automatic processes. And all this is a long-winded way of saying that the first time we encounter something's important, like, and it's draining, and it's novel, right? Novel situations are fascinating. Um, when, we, when it comes to scripture, first moments are important as well. There's a, there's a thing in, in biblical studies called the principle of first mention. So the first time something's mentioned in scripture, or the first time something happens, it's significant because it, it should shape how we engage with the rest of it mentioned, whether it's a theme like the temple or, or the first things first. It sets the scene and it, and it changes how we interpret it the rest of the way through. And as I was reading through scripture, um, I came upon this story, the wedding in Cana, which is in John's gospel. Uh, and this, interestingly, the wedding in Cana is, is Jesus' first miracle, Jesus' first sign. It sets the scene, right, which is quite fascinating. It's a fascinating story. Um, John's gospel is highly symbolic. There's only seven signs in it of, of, of what the kingdom of God is like or what Jesus is coming to do, right? And this is the first one, which is interesting. Principle of first mention would say that this is incredibly significant because it says something, and it, it frames what the rest of the story is about, this is, in a sense, this is Jesus who's coming to um, change the world and restore everything. And, and this is his coming out party, so it's the inaugural address. It's the, it's the scene for everything that's about to happen afterwards. So I'm going to read the scriptures, and then we'll unpack it a little bit from there. So we go, John, John 2, 1 to 11. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests there also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told them, they're just about out of wine. And Jesus said, is that any business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. Interesting. She went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. So six stone water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons, and Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host, Jesus said. And they did. When the host tasted the water that had become wine, brackets, he didn't know what had just happened, but the servants, of course, knew, close brackets, he called out to the bridegroom. Everyone I know begins with the finest wines, and after the guests have had their fill, brings in the cheap stuff. But you have saved the best till now. And this act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And there's a few things here, a um, few things in this story. Firstly, having been married at least once, I know weddings are a big deal. Like, there's a lot of planning that goes into it. There's a lot of, like, rigmarole. There's people, everyone's come out for it. Like, it's an event. And this is like, this is like, and I'm talking about Western weddings. I've had a Western wedding, which is like five to six hours. Like, like in other cultures, weddings can be days. They can be huge events. They involve the whole community. And like the general rule of hospitality is, is make too much food and invite too many people, right? If you ever want to be a hospitable person, that's a good rule. Invite too many people, make too much food. Weddings back then were a huge deal. The family was out. It was a community thing. It's far bigger than our like individualistic, like how can this day be a representation of the perfect love that I have with my spouse? Like, you know, it's, like, it's actually so much more. It's very relational. And in the context of this, for the wine to run out would have been a huge fox pass, which for the informed view is a faux pas. Um, it would have been massive. Yeah, it's, it's a great joke. It's, in and of itself, it's a joke, but I don't want to explain it anymore. Like... This would have brought huge shame on the families, right? Like, and like the, the, the wedding hosts, um, I'm assuming in this, those are the, 
it's a bit of a different flavor. That's not necessarily a Palestinian like painting or anything like that. Um, but the wedding guests, the wedding hosts would have been so embarrassed, so ashamed. This would have brought shame on the family for the wine to run out, for the party to be over, the embarrassment in front of everyone. Like this would have been like being at a party and speaking to dozens of people only later to find out when you get home that you've got spinach in your teeth or like public speaking and your flies down the whole time or something like that. Like it's like, it's embarrassing. And like, so, so firstly, this is a huge deal that the wine's running out. This is a huge deal. Firstly, this is, a weird, this is a weird miracle that Jesus is doing, that this is coming out party. Two, this is weird that there's a, um, it's going to bring huge shame on the, the family. But thirdly, thirdly, I find it, actually, I got those numbers mixed up. Flag the numbers. This is really interesting because we know Jesus who radically helps the poor and radically overthrows the powers and principalities and his, his might and his kingdom is going to be demons cast out or people healed, whatever. And the principle of first mention, the first miracle that he does is he Looks, he gets the water, or he tells people to get the water, and then he turns it into the best wine. Like, this is so strange that uh, our God incarnated here, whatever he does, the first miracle, the first sign, the most important thing is that he keeps the party going. And not just that, he makes the party even better. He turns it up to 11, so to speak. He, he takes the $10 Shiraz or like a goon sack of Pinot Gris, and he's like, none of this. Like, and then he just, uh, I don't know, he pops down over to Waiheke, pops over to Waiheke, gets some like man of war, something exiled or something like that. Or goes down to um, Central Otago and is like, you know what, Peregrine, we're having Peregrine. Or even like, even like heaven forbid, he goes over the Barossa Valley and he goes, where's the Penfolds Grange? Like, where's this? I'm bringing it back and this is just going to go next level. This is his, this is not a small time thing. Jesus turns the party all the way up to 11. Please, someone tell me if you get that reference. Yeah, God, thank goodness. I mean, yeah, yeah, awesome. This is so good. They thought the party was over. The wine had run out and Jesus looked around and just brought his A-game, you know? He brought it in a big way. And the story this week has fascinated me in a variety of ways. I've been meditating on it, reflecting on it, wondering what it means for me and perhaps what it means for us. And it sat with me in a personal way because it's had me asking this very question, what do we do when the wine runs out? Like, what do we do when the party seems like it's over? Um, or even worse, what do we do when the party seems like it's over and everyone's watching us? And it's, it's like, oh, no, this is terrible. What started out like a raging party for them had dwindled. And it, it, something had to happen. Something had to change. And for me, you know, like when it comes to this faith stuff, sometimes I ask, sometimes it feels like the wine's running out. Sometimes it feels like the party's almost over. And sometimes it feels like, oh, how on earth am I going to get up and say anything? I feel like that wedding host, you know, like, oh, <laughs> this is terrifying. Like, so for me in my journey in faith, like, I, I got involved in church through youth leading, right? But I got really involved through uh, worship leading. That was kind of like when this became super significant for me. And I loved worship. I loved the, a little bit of the simplicity of it. We sing, we're passionate, we're surrendering everything to God. And, and if it doesn't seem like something's happening, just sing a little louder and sing a little louder and sing that chorus 20 more times until, until you feel like something's happening, right? Like, I love the creativity of it, weaving songs together. I love the not that repeating a chorus 20 times is creative. I love the joy of like nailing the music and, and like the emotion of like, man, I hit that one wrong note so God's anointing won't come today. That's terrible, right? Um, I liked organizing teams. I liked bringing new people into the band and I liked, um, I liked that whole thing where the preacher invites the band. I was like, this is our time to shine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, like I loved, it was a party. The wine was flowing, right? And the, the wine was flowing metaphorically through hands raised in the air and tears. Like, little, like, you can count a good worship set based on tears. You know, a good two-liter worship set is, like, good of, like, just people emotionally connecting with God. And 
worship with youth is intense, right? It's like the big thing, and you feel very important being on stage. Like, um, like you don't you don't say it, but like being on stage as like a single man in your early twenties is like this is good exposure. Like this is really good exposure for, um, like, <laughs> do you know? I, like I say this, I say this, like. The, the line of good and evil runs between each and every one of us, right? There are no, none of you are pure, neither is me. Like, we've all got flawed motivations at times. But, but I love doing a good job. And I think I loved helping people genuinely engage, focusing with God, right? I, I think um, there are moments, right, and when, when it moved beyond just being bad Christian karaoke. And then people would just connect in with God and something special happens, right? You can feel it. You can feel it when it's like, wow, like, there may as well just be a dot bouncing along the words. But then there's times where it's like, wow, something special is really happening. This is how I got involved with the church. This, this, was, this was faith to me. This was massive, and it was awesome until it wasn't. It was awesome until, like, the wine seemed like it was about to run out. And there are a few things for me in that journey. First, I realized that I had no idea what any of the songs meant we were singing. <laughs> I realized, I've been singing these words. I've been singing them passionately, but that doesn't make sense to me. Or, like, what on earth is that? Or you go, you get whiplash theologically, right? It's like, well, that song's singing about, like, I'm so worthless, 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 but you're good. And then you shift to another song, which is a whole different kettle of fish. It's like, oh, man, I've got, it's, it's, it's bad for my mental health to try and work out what's going here, right? Like, and the second, second thing that really made me realize that the wine was running up for me at that point was that for every loud chorus and every worship night we put on for years, I realized that I'd maybe encountered God once, maybe twice over a couple years span through this music time, through the hours, through the energy, through the passion, through the surrender. And mostly, I think for myself, I realized that I was tired praying and worshiping for a revival that never seemed to come, right? I was tired. Um, I was tired of just praying each week, God come, and it's like, at some point you look up and be like, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not happening. And there were points, right, where it's like, you're so zealous for like what God's going to do. That's like, okay, God's revival didn't come last night. I think one of the worship team's living in sin. If we just kick them off the boat, like, like, you know, and you just go scooting around. Some, one of you is quenching the Holy Spirit. Like, who is it? Like, who's doing this, right? Like, but for me, with worship music, the, the party had been great, but the wine seemed to be running out and running out fast. So what do we do? Like, what do we do with that? Like, maybe, you, I, I can't say everyone here has been a worship leader, but maybe, I don't know how you started in your faith journey, right? We're all from different backgrounds, but we enter into this, and there's promises of what it will be or what it will look like, but at some point, for all of us, and if it hasn't happened yet, I imagine, well, at some point, it feels like the wine's running out, right? It feels like, what's going on? We're waking up from a dream. So let's go back to the wedding in Cana. And six stoneware water pots were there, used by the jewels for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons, and Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And when I was thinking about this week, you realize Jesus is looking around. Like, and he finds the most ordinary thing in the entire world, water. Beyond carbon, like water is the most common kind of like element. It covers most of our earth's surface, right? Um, obviously not, not a lot of it's drinkable, but I think within this miracle, Jesus could have got salt water and turned it as well, right? If he really needed to. But it was interesting. Water's common. Like, Jesus just takes, he looks for the most common thing in the room. He gets them to fill the stone water pots. And somehow, somehow, out of the most mundane, out of the most ordinary thing in the room, Jesus brings something miraculous to it. And, and the precipice of being, there being tremendous shame for the family, the party being over, Jesus gets the ordinary and he makes the best wine out of it. When the party we've known and loved seems to be shutting down, whether it's worship for me or whatever it is for you, 
Look for that which is ordinary, because Jesus is going to perform a miracle in that place. Jesus takes the ordinary, and he makes the most extraordinary thing out of it. Which makes me think that when the wine runs out, look for water. When the wine of your faith, when the wine of your experience of what God is like, when it seems to be dwindling, when the party seems to be over, take your eyes off that and look for the most ordinary thing in the room. Look for the most simple. For me, like, I realize, like, this has been my journey. Like, for me, musical worship had become a significant idol in my life. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd made musical worship such an idol to the extent that everything to do with God, everything to do with what God was doing was, was reduced to an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday night. Like, that's where God was going to move, right? And that's fine, like, but it also meant that the rest of the week didn't matter because the rest of the week only pointed towards this Sunday night moment. Everything pointed towards that. And this, this, this passion for this moment on a Sunday, it drained my energy, it drained my focus, it drained my perspective for what was happening in the rest of the week. And there was a point, and this was where it changed for me, right? This is where it changed. It was when I read Paul writing to the Romans in Romans 12, 1. He says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Take your everyday, ordinary life as an act of worship, as an offering. Take your dinner times with your family. Take your commute to work. You're walking the dogs, your time with friends, your eating, sleeping, everyday moments. Your Monday through Saturday. The NIV translation would say that this is true and proper worship. See, I thought the party was on Sundays. I thought that's where it was. But now it seems that Jesus, or at least Paul's interpretation of it, was like, no, what? Monday to Saturday works? The rest of my life works? No, 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 no. You see, it took my hope of God's presence on a Sunday night to die for me to suddenly look around at my ordinary everyday life. It took the wine running out for me to look for the water, to realize that maybe there was something richer. Maybe there was something deeper. Maybe there was God's voice wanted to move in the silence of a beach walk or times with friends catching up or going through the drive-thru and trying to treat the customer service representative with respect because they got my order wrong. Not just in general. I'm not that grumpy. Like... My pursuit of God's presence on a Sunday night had to die for me to realize that God was just as present in every moment, every ordinary moment of my life. You know, and for us in our faith, right, like we serve, Jesus lives, dies, resurrects, right? There's a pattern which we need to become incredibly comfortable, and that something has to die for resurrection to come. Something has to die for all of us that the things we've loved, they have a season to them. They have a start, they have a middle, and they have an end. And as we learn to embrace, actually, the process of things dying, then we can start to look for what's being resurrected, right? Like, if I was clinging too strongly to musical worship, this will be what it is, I ne- would have never looked around at the ordinary things, the water that Jesus wanted to turn into better wine. The old wine was good, but the new wine was far better. That's the invitation. God was no longer important on one hour of a Sunday night. God was now important 168 hours of everything of my entire week, you know? And like, when God's present in your whole life, Everything becomes significant. Everything becomes meaningful. And I believe that for all of us, when the wine runs out, Jesus will use the water in the most ordinary parts of our lives, and he will bring something much deeper and richer and better out of it for us. But with that said, still water. Um, I was trusting. Do we have any ritual washing pots anywhere? No. With that said, I have some bad news. Um, 
Because you know how I was talking about how Jesus brought water, water turned water into wine in my life, and it's like, you know, like, and it's like everything's good, all right, and all this kind of stuff. And like, I've just realized this past week that the whole cycle's repeating for me as well. Because I moved from this worship thing to being fascinated and um, fascinated and, and researching and going later, all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I'll, I'll explain it a bit, but I'm in this pattern again where the wine's run out again, or it feels like the party's about to be over. And I've been thinking about this week because I've realized that this perhaps, I, it feels like writer's block, you know what I mean? It feels like I've never struggled to have a sermon to preach or like, because hey, this, this, this. But over the past few times trying to, pre- pre- trying to preach, and I think I realized it was actually the past two years, but it was covered over by lockdown, right? Like, you just realize, you, I got nothing to say. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'll explain it a bit. Like, the worship scenario sent me to Laidlaw because I was trying to work out what the songs meant. And then I grew in love for words and philosophy and ideas and preaching and teaching and opening up other people's minds. No longer was God going to come through the revival of musical worship. Now God was going to come through the revival of my words that I share as I dispense the wisdom of scriptures, right? It was a, it was a new shift around. It was very exciting. Um, if only I could preach and teach well, then surely everyone would get it. Everyone would be fixed. Everyone would be in love with Jesus. There'd be no issues in people's lives. Um, there'd be no be divorces or breakups, particularly with my young, young adults friends. There'd be no teenage pregnancies, hungover youth leaders. Maybe, maybe even the young adults I care about wouldn't leave the church anymore. You know, like this was it. My words, I was going to get to the bottom of this. And it was interesting because like for whatever reason, my words seemed to make sense to people. Like it was like, oh, it's baffling. They don't make sense to me. Um, but I'd have a million sermons, a million sermons to say, but this week, you know, the weeks before, I've just got bad writer's block. Like, like, and the best way I can explain the writer's block that I have for you designers out there is that this sermon is labeled, when the wine, wine runs out, 07C. It's version 7C. Like, it's taken that many, like, there's, like, version B was, like, three lines, and it was, like, need a new file, right? Like, it's, it's, it's just scattered everywhere, right? Like, and, the, the, like, the party's going, like, I feel like the the, the wine's running out. And it's like, when you're paid in a sense to share your thoughts, like, it's pretty embarrassing when you've got none to share. But um, it's terrifying. But because I've seen the map before, because I know this, it's like, when the wine runs out, what's next? What's the ordinary thing? What's moving around? When you feel like the wine's running out wherever you're at, maybe you're running on fumes, Jesus, I think, has better wine. So where's the water? This is what I've been thinking about this week. Where's the water in my life right now? And I, I say this, this is my story, right? And maybe there's some reason it's like this isn't meant to be, this is all you should do. Everyone's in different places here. But this week for me, I realized that I think the water is this, it's love. I think the most ordinary thing in the world is love. Because we're all people, right, as far as I can tell. And every person's deepest need is for love and connection. We want it and we give it. Love is the universal factor across all cultures and creeds. To love and be loved is the most human thing. It's the most ordinary thing. It's at the heartbeat of everything we do, right? Like, whenever someone drives a super fancy car, I think I know why. They want to be loved. And they like the vroom, vroom noises. But I think for me, with my love for words... Uh, with preaching, with all this kind of stuff, I think we make love and faith a lot more about words than it needs to be. Um, With our creeds and denominations and lists of beliefs that define who is a proper Christian or not, an orthodox or a heretic, we've done a very good job at missing the point. Jesus didn't invite us to believe the right things. He invited us to live a certain way. The way of Jesus isn't defined by a checklist of beliefs. It's a call to live 
a certain way in this world, and that way is continually defined by love. John 13, 35. By this they will know you, my disciples, your love for one another. First Corinthians, everything you do will just be a clanging gong, a noisy symbol, if not done with love. Or even Jesus' great commandment, right? Like, like this is what the law and the prophets mean. Love God and love others. You know, that's simple, right? But the issue is, talking about love is infinitely easier to do than actually being loving, right? That's the scary thing. Um, and in that, I, I, I can get why we've made so much of faith far more about the temple than, far, than the road. You know, we've made it far more about a Sunday than, than during the week. But then we look at Jesus, right? And as we do in the On the Road series coming up, we look at Jesus. Most of Jesus' teachings, most of his life happened on the road, going somewhere in your Monday to Saturday. Well, not Saturday. That was their day off. In their Sunday through Friday, you know, that was where Jesus' stories came from. It's like, look at that tree. Look at this. Look at this everyday circumstance. This is where faith is. The academics would say that we've focused so much on orthodoxy, right, belief, that we've given little time to worry about orthopraxy or living a certain way. And it's not about simply being saved from like an intellectual perspective. It's about living saved from the expectations of others and the shame and guilt put on society by us for not being smart enough, rich enough, good-looking enough. It's not simply about being forgiven in an intellectual space. It's about living forgiven by choosing to not repay anger from others with more anger. It's about choosing to end the cycles of unforgiveness and anger and bitterness and resentment. It's not about believing that gratitude is a really good principle. It's about being grateful in whatever we have, little or lots, to the extent that we know that we are custodians of whatever we receive, whose purpose is to just pass it on. Simply put, we can spend a million years in a million ways talking about how important love is, or we can try and spend it, spend our days becoming love. If I hadn't had my writer's block, I think I'd still think this is about words. You know? It takes the wine running out in some way in our faith for us to look around at what's there. To notice perhaps the water of the most ordinary things. And it had me wondering, where's the better wine? And I really enjoyed your sermon last week, Vic, when you talked about why church, you know? What is this? And, and there's... And it was beautiful. If you can look at it online, please do, because it was just pictures of different people, different faces, and something like such a varied cast of humans here who, like, in very unlikely circumstances, would ever hang out here if this church, hang out if this church didn't exist, right? Like, Stanley Howarus, he, he, says, he says, church is a strange thing and that it's making a family out of strangers, right? It's making a family out of strangers. There's a beautiful thing happening within that. And my suspicion is as the words, the wine fades for me, that I'm discovering that there's actually some far better wine. And it is in that simplicity of learning to love those next to us, learning to love those around us. I think the invitation of Jesus is that he's always inviting us beyond the Sunday. He's always inviting us from the temple to the road, that actually the road's where the stuff is. Our everyday ordinary life is where the stuff is. And when we realize that the party we've had on a Sunday is perhaps serving cheap wine, you know, it makes us wonder, like, where during our weeks we would find premium top shelf $30 bottles, you know? And our Monday, and our Monday to Saturday, where's the good wine that he's, that he's wanting to transform? So I wonder if, as a church community, as we look at on the road moving forward, if we could become a church desiring to become loving, known for its generosity, its welcoming, welcomingness, its gratefulness, its graciousness, but more scarily, it's easy to talk about a church as an institution being that. More scarily, can I, Tim Wood, be known for being incredibly loving, welcoming, grateful, generous? That's much harder. <laughs> That's a much harder thing. Could you? Could you put your name there, become known for the love that you have?
the graciousness that you have. So something practical, um, Temple Road, Orthodox Orthopraxy. Oh, there we go. Gorgeous. Oh, this makes me so happy. Um, so my question is, where's the water in our lives? If this has resonated with you, where is the water in our lives? Where's the love? What's God wanting to transform? Because I felt ashamed when I realized this week because I'm like, I don't really have any on-road stories recently. Like, I've been so lost in the words, so lost in this. Like, I actually haven't been that loving. I actually haven't gone out of my way for anyone. I actually haven't, I don't think I've actually revealed Jesus in any way beyond talking about him in a slightly impressive way, if um, incredibly hypocritical. But um, where's the water in our weeks? I think it's potentially it's in the spaces we're already in, right? This isn't about doing more, but this is about being where we already are in a different way. And when I was preparing this, the next day we went for a beach walk. Um, Zoe and I walk our dog, Jin, on Stamble Bay Beach. Every, isn't he gorgeous? He loves people's faces, and he loves assaulting puppies. So don't go near him. He's, he's yeah, he's, he's got a lot of energy. Um, yeah. We, so we walk the beach every day, right? And I was thinking about this. Why have I not been loving, right? And then on that walk, we just, I, I realized that we say hi to about 10, 20 different people every single day. And for me, it was like, how can I do that differently? How can I turn the water of this ordinary moment into something richer, into, into a, a richer wine? So on that walk, we just slowed down and stopped and chatted just for a little bit longer than the cursory, like, or like, how are you going? Like, we just slowed down and stopped and chatted, you know? And one of, my, one of my favorite writers, Bob Goff, he says, he says, I find it so hard to be loving. So what I've decided is I'm going to give people 30 seconds and only 30 seconds. Because some people, like, some people, they even that's a tall order, you know, to be loving. So he's like, so I'll give them 30 seconds of my attention. And then when it gets to the end of that 30 seconds, I'll decide in my head, can I spare another 30 seconds for this person, right? But it changes everything, like, because 30 seconds, like, a good way to be loving is just give people your time. So can you afford 30 seconds for the most annoying person in your life? Try it this week. It's, it's tougher than it sounds, but it also it's easier than it sounds. The water, the love, these spaces, they're in the world that we already live in. They're already in your life. It could be your work conversations. It could be your family dinners. Um, a, a potential challenge, and I don't want to, I almost don't want to, I don't want to say it because it's too risky because I don't want to be held accountable to it, but as Zoe and some of my flatmates, they're really keen to, um, they're really keen to, there's dancing, there's rock and roll dancing at the RSA on Thursday night, like, and Zoe's just like, I would love to go to that, and I'm like, oh, but I just feel, I feel the Holy Spirit just gnawing at my heart in a way of like, you should probably just go and meet some normal, regular people at the RSA. That's not rock and roll dancing, that, but like, it, there were very slim Google search image results for rock and roll dancing at the Stamble Bay RSA. There wasn't like a big... So that was the closest I got. But like, maybe the water in your life, maybe when the wine's running out, maybe the water is in something like that. Like, join a sports team or jump into something. Like, hang out with your colleagues after work in a way. Or, you know, like, just in a slight... Meet people who aren't churchy people. You know, and you'll discover a new way of um, being challenged to be loving. Not, uh, that sounded terrible. Like, people who aren't a church are hard to love. I'm just saying. I don't mean that, like... But I think um, this is probably the most challenging one of all this, right? Because this is easy to say, hard to do. Again, it's a Bob Goff quote. And he says, there's no school to learn to love your neighbor. It's just the house next door. And I wonder if this is where the, where the better wine's going to come from when we take this to heart. You know, I feel challenged because I don't know our neighbors' names. 
You know, it's like, you know, if we take Jesus seriously, that maybe he meant just love your neighbor and see what happens. There's no school for learning to love our neighbor, just the house next door. So when the wine runs out, look for the water, look for that which is ordinary. Look for the most present in your life, unassuming thing, because that's where Jesus wants to make something beautiful. That's where he wants to bring forth the better, the better wine. And I know in some ways this is just me and my season of life. And I actually still preach. I enjoy preaching and that kind of stuff. But I just, yeah, yeah. But I think success for us as a community is not that we have good sermons. I think success for us as a community is that we've become loving people, right? So I'm going to pray for us as we go about this. God, there are moments in our life where the wine runs out, when the party seems like it's over. There are moments in our faith where what we've known seems to stop working, or what we've loved seems to just become more of a chore. Can, we, can you help us know what these moments are, and can you give us the courage to name them and also be open-handed with them, that we won't cling to them for security, but we'll, we'll step in a sense of trust that you have something far better for us, So we ask for us as a community that you would illuminate the parts of our everyday ordinary life, the water in our life. And we just pray humbly that you'd make just the the best wine out of it. Not just for us, that people could share in that as well and see a glimpse of you. Can you help us give the wisdom to let go of the dying parties we've hung around too long at? Can you help us step in courage towards the life that you have for us to become a loving people? Your beautiful mighty name. Amen. Come on. Be blessed this day as you go. Do something incredibly ordinary. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.